You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. So as, as most of you know, last time we sort of went through Psalm 46. Um, and we're going we're gonna to continue that this morning. So I'm actually... Um, for as long as God wants me to, I'm going to stay in the Psalms for a bit, start unpacking them. We've been um, reading them for the past, well, over a year now each morning at church. So I think it'd be good to go through and unpack a few. Plus, if, if I did them in number order, there's almost three years worth of sermons there. So that sort of covers me for a bit, but I'm not, not going to do, do that too. Um, we're just going to go through a few of them and um, see where God leads us and take us through that. So, so this morning we're going to be looking at Psalms, like I mentioned. Before we dive in, we're just going to get, unpack what the book of Psalms is, what it looks like, how many chapters, as most of you probably already know. So the book of Psalms is a collection of poetry and songs. It's written by a few different authors, quite a few by David, but they are all inspired by God, as the word of God is. There is a total of 150 Psalms in the book. The Psalms is actually the longest book in the Bible. The Hebrew name for Psalms is Telahim. Excuse my Hebrew. It's not great, but that's right. Uh, what actually means in English, praise. What is one of the main points and characteristics of what Psalms actually is? Um, it's one of the main characteristics that makes these poems and songs. They use it for the praise of God in worship. There is a whole different type. There are a whole lot of different types of poetry and songs in this book from people on highs that are worshiping God from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows where they're crying out for God's deliverance, to even a biblical moan, as we find in Psalm 88. There's all different types of these, but no matter how it's done, if it's done with bringing praise and adoration to God, it's a godly thing. Um, It also highlights no matter what's going on in our lives, God uses any situation for his victory. The book of Psalms is split into five sub-books. So Psalm chapter 1 to 41 is book 1, 42 to 72 is book 2, 73 to 89 is book 3, 90 to 106 is book 4, and 106 to 150 is book 5. So today we're going to be we're looking in that first sub-book, so chapters 1 to 41. Um, the first sub-book is actually split into five different sections. So these are chapters one and two, what is used as an intro to the whole collections of Psalms. These two chapters talk about God's promise and plan of dealing with the evil and violence and sin in the world. He talks about raising up an anointed king for Israel. The word anointed in Hebrew means Messiah, what relates back to the promise that God made David of raising up Messiah from his family line. So we'll just quickly look at that promise, what's in 2 Samuel 8, 17. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pastures, from the following, uh, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you went. I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I'll make you a great name, like the name of the great ones on earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. A violent man shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, I'll give, re- give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, moreover, the Lord declares to you, the Lord will make you a house. When the days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. I'll raise up your offspring after you. You shall come, for your na- uh, shall come from your body. I'll establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for my name and establish the throne of the kingdom forever. I'll be with him. I'll be him a father and he shall be a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, who are always from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with the vision, Nathan spoke to David. So back to the first two chapters of Psalms. This is this Messiah from the line of David and a powerful king will confront evil rulers. He'll become a protective fortress for those who seek refuge in him, a fortress that we discovered in Psalm 46 last time. But he'll be doing but he'll be doing it in a different way. His rule won't look like his stock standard way of ruling. And but we'll dive into that a bit deeper as we get into the next psalm. So the first two chapters are an intro into the Psalms. Talks about God's plan for Christ to come and reconcile those who believe back to him and confront the sin and defeat its power. So today we're going to be looking at Psalm 8. So a bit more sorry, just a bit more context. I know it's quite long, but we will get to Psalm 8, I promise you. Um, a bit more context that, about the Psalms that surround Psalm 8 to help us understand Psalm 8 a bit better. So chapters 3 to 7 are Psalms about David in the time when he was powerless and he was hiding from his enemies. If you're not sure about these times, I encourage you to read David's stories. This will unpack his stories and give you a deeper understanding into these Psalms and the place that they come from when he, when he wrote them. These group of psalms come from David crying out to God when there is no hope, he had no power, he was running and hiding from his enemies for his life. He wrote, wrote these psalms from a place of no power or authority, a place where he, he, that most people these days look in the place of weakness. So just keep that in mind for now. So we get to the psalms after Psalm 8, what are chapters 9 to 14, where we sim- see a similar story to David. He has a group of people around him that are called the poor and afflicted ones. These people are confronted by evil enemies and empires and they're being overpowered by these people. They are afflicted. afflicted. They're crying out to God like David is in the Psalms before for deliverance to help and help. Both David and the afflicted ones are both in a place of powerlessness and weakness. So these Psalms build a picture of people that are in a fairly bad position in life. They have no power, no authority, and they need deliverance. They're crying out to God for help. So fairly full on, fairly deep part of the Psalms, but luckily we have Psalm 8. So we'll dive into it today. So you you would imagine being surrounded by so much affliction on David in the first few chapters and the afflicted ones in the past that Psalm 8 would be much the same. That Psalm 8 would be about affliction and crying out for deliverance in places of weakness. Um, we see David and the afflicted ones um, are calling out to God. They're both powerless and weak. So what hope is there for these people? In the eyes of the people that are overpowering them, they have no hope. But as we read Psalm 8, we'll find that hope. Psalm 8 is titled, majestic, How Majestic Is Your Name? And it talks, and it talks about it in the psalm. Talks about how God has chosen the weak and powerless and the afflicted ones to use in the world and to rule the world. From a place of weakness that looks like weak to the world is actually a place of strength with God. So we better actually read Psalm 8 now instead of me just doing a massive intro and just talking about it. So we better put some word to uh, this preach. So if you're following along, um, feel free to go to Psalm 8. 
I'll read it. So it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings. You crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds in the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along these paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, so now that we've read it, by God's grace, we'll hopefully start tying all this stuff from the start into place. So you see in the psalm, it starts the same way that it finishes. It starts with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is because the author David is using it as a case, is using it for a signal for what the psalm is about. That's how majestic your name is in all the earth. In this case, we see that the psalm is all about God and God's majestic power that fills all creation and the way that God uses his majestic power to rule. So naturally, the first place we're going to start looking at is God's majestic power, or God's majesty. So the word majesty means royal power. For example, there's a few royals left in this world. They have great authority, the main one being the Queen of England. Of the country she rules uh, under England and the royal power and authority, she has the authority to overthrow their rulers, to throw out laws that she doesn't like. She has the authority to, um, in terms, run that country. Um, so she has great power and say in what she can do with that power. Um, so getting back to God's majesty, this psalm opens up the way he chooses to use his majesty and how it's revealed. In terms of an earthly view, God's rule, it would seem a peculiar way of doing things in the, compared to the way that royals do it here. An earthly way is to show your power. In another sense, it's to flex your muscles, to, uh, to speak and to show your opposition that you have all the power behind you. And often through that, it can show if you have more power than someone, quite often they'll pull behind and follow you. It's a place of authority and fear. But this psalm shows God, shows us that God chooses a different way to show his majesty. And through that, he does, and through that, he shows his glory. So the first clue into the God show his majesty is in verse 2 of Psalm 8, where it says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established a strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. So the psalmist here is saying, out of the mouth of babies, God establishes a place of strength. Or in the Hebrew meaning for a strong place is a fortress. He uses babies to steal and defeat his enemies. So what do we know about babies? Well, they cry, eat, sleep, poop, repeat, basically. Um, Trust me, I know we're expecting one soon. So this... (laughs) This really is quite exciting, <laughs> but to be honest, they are completely dependent on their parents. They fully rely on their parents to support them to they're of age to be able to support and look after themselves. It's a picture that they are weak on their own. They can't do it without the support of their parents. They need their parents as they are weak and powerless on their own. Without their parents, there's not much chance of them surviving without help from another source. They are fully dependent on people. 
they are an image of weakness on their own. But with their parents, they'll grow mature and eventually get strong. But that's not what the psalm's saying. It's not saying from babies, give them 18 years to grow big and strong, and then they'll defeat my enemies. But instead, it says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, the enemies and the avenger will be stilled. When was the last time we had a conversation with a baby, and how did it go? (laughs) (laughs) I'd be very surprised if someone's had a very meaningful and deep conversation with a baby. But if you have, let me know. I'm happy to be proved wrong there. But... um, (laughs) It, it's unlikely. Um, I've completely lost where I was now. <laughs> we know the best thing a baby can muster up is a babble. Or for some overtired and very excited parents waiting for that first word, they think the babble said mum or dad, but who can really tell? But the point is the babies don't make sense. They are weak. And through that weakness, God makes them strong and glory is revealed. Um, by his majesty, he's using the image of a weak baby that is weak on their own to steal his enemies. And he creates a baby what's weak in our eyes to be a place of strength. In verse two, the peculiar way that God portrays his majesty is like one example you could put it is like the old schoolyard picking teams for a game of football. Instead of picking the biggest, strongest kid that you had to have on your team, you go straight away to the smallest, weakest, slowest kid that there is in that field and picking him first. But that's what God does. He chooses the weak. He chooses the humble. He uses those who are weak in earthly eyes, but through that and that strength, his glory is revealed. So God uses the weak to defeat his enemies. He uses the humble. And we see the picture to start being formed here that God's rule is not an earthly way that you should that people think you should rule. He's not showing his pure power and might to win that victory. He's using the weakest image that you can think of to win victory. And that is a sign of glory and strength. Like babies are weak because they are completely dependent on their parents. Like us, when we are humble and when we're in a place of weakness and we completely depend on God, he uses that weakness for a place of strength. Through him, we are made strong, just like babies through their parents eventually grow up strong and big when they've got that support and dependent on them. If we are dependent on God, he'll use our weaknesses for his victory. All right, so we'll move on to the next few verses. Then we see, we see the picture get bigger of his majesty in verse 3 and 4, where the psalmist says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So just start off in verse 4, what is man? It's To get a full grip, we'll dive into it. The psalmist isn't asking us what is a man. He's not asking they've got two eyes, a nose, a mouth, sort of held together by a face. That's not what he's talking about. He's, um, he's going back to Genesis 1 and getting a comparison of that God has just created the heavenly lights, the stars, the moon, everything that... You, that it is all their blue ah beauty what is that beauty and splendor sorry and then creating a contrast of creating us he created us out of the dirt it is like when um it's like when you go out out of the city i recommend this for anyone that hasn't left the city go out and check it out it's it's amazing out there um but going out of the city on a clear black night looking up to the stars and seeing thousands and thousands of heavenly lights and moons and the beauty and the splendor of that you can get a sense of how small 
sometimes you feel small compared to that. Um, but you can also get a sense of the glory of God through that image, even though it's a small sense. But then remembering that we'll make from the dirt. What, what is man? How, how can we possibly compare to God in terms? There is no comparison. And this is what the psalmist is trying to get out. What is man? What is it? We can't compare to God. We're nothing like him. He created us out of dirt. We are weak. He is strong. We have no leg to stand on. God does everything perfectly with no error compared to us. Compared to strength, there is no comparison. He's the beginning and the end. End of conversation. Compared to us, of if we sleep finally, our necks are sideways for the next three days. It's not an image of strength at all. What is man? We are weak. We are made out of dirt and amount to not much compared to the splendor and the beauty of what we see in the stars, let alone God. Well, this got fairly bleak fairly quickly, but luckily for us, God uses our weakness as part of the way he rules. We are loved. We're important to him. We're not just a speck of dirt. Um, we have a purpose and we find out as the psalm goes on, as um, he unpacks the next few verses, it unpacks that psalm three and four. Yet you have made him uh, a little lower than the heavenly beings. You crowned him with glory and honour. You have given dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through, passes along the path of the seas. These, are, these verses are directly related to verse 2 and 4. It gives us insight to how God uses his majesty he, to reveal his glory, that, he is, that his majesty is through the lowly, meaning that he uses the weak and the powerless to defeat his enemies, showing true signs of strength to rule the world. And we can almost hear the surprise in the psalmist's um, sort of lyrics as he's portraying he's just portrayed humans as just dirt but as he goes on he betrays them that you that god has given them dominion he's given them control over all things that he's created um in the psalm he asks what is man he's weak and really haven't got much of a clue but yet you have given dominion over your works and you and your hand directly relates back to genesis 1 26 uh, to 28 what says then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea, over the birds and the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see in Genesis that God elevates us from, from being dirt creatures to having a high role. Through God, what is weak, us, being made out of dirt, was formed into his image, and through God we have dominion to rule over what God has created. From being weak, God has elevated us using our weakness, and through God he calls it strong and called it to a higher purpose. So through these verses in Psalm 8, we see the image of how God loves to rule, and that is to elevate the powerless and the weak to defeat his enemies and rule the world. Through these verses, we see the model of how God uses his majesty to reveal his glory, using weakness to ma- and making us strong to do his will. Through God, the weak are made strong.
God loves to choose choose the weak. Not only in the psalm, not only in the psalm is sorry. Yeah. So back back to our intro, we see that David was in a place of weakness, but yet God chose to use him in a powerful way. David, who became king of Israel and became and the messiah came from his family line he chose to use the afflicted ones even though their names were the afflicted ones he chose the smallest weakest kid in the schoolyard and picked that kid and that kid was unstoppable it shouldn't be possible in an earthly view none of this works but in god god makes makes them strong and in god alone this one psalm in the middle of all, the, all this affliction brings to light God using, God is using the weak and making it strong. And through his glory is revealed. Who else chooses the weak and still comes out on top? He chooses the people who have nothing to offer and yet is victorious. What an amazing view on, majesty, on the majesty and the ultimate glory belonging to God. We also see that when the weak rely on God, they are humble to him. God uses humble, uses the humble, and what happens there is only what what happens when they are victorious only deserves praise and glory to God and God alone, as they had nothing to offer from the beginning. God has called us to be humble and to serve others. What looks like a place of weakness and powerless in earthly eyes is actually a place of strength and a place to reveal the kingdom of God is most betrayed. When we know that the weak and when we know we are weak and humble ourselves, that God's glory and majesty shines through a broken world, and through the, through Him we are strong, not by us, but through Him. We are using the imagery of Psalm eight, but also of Psalms three to seven of David and nine to fourteen of the afflicted ones, altogether set a pattern of the Messiah to come, that is spoken of in Psalm one and two, who is to come and will rule over the land. So we'll see, see what happens when, when Christ did come. So Matthew 21, 1 to 5 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpeg to Mount Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fill the spoke, uh, what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, the king is coming, humble and mount on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a beast and burden. Now you might ask how this relates. Um, you might see right here we're in Palm Sunday, what this scripture is all about. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. We all know the story, but have we put much thought to it? Jesus rides in on, on a donkey. Now, if you think in history, what noble rides in on a donkey and not a horse? A horse was classed as a noble steed, you could say. They either rode in on a horse or a chariot with a royal to show their power. But Jesus instead rode in on a, don- on a donkey. It was a farm animal that most people had access to. Um, but Jesus chose to ride in on a donkey. He humbled himself to fulfill the prophecy, Zechariah, who had said, said this 100 years before. So Zechariah 9.9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mount on a donkey, 
on a cult, the fall of a donkey. So why did Jesus do this to point out a trend that runs through? Jesus did this to point out a trend that runs through the whole Bible, and that's God's majesty. He uses the lowly and the weakness and equals humility. We're going to see how it plays out in the next part of Matthew 21, so 21, 15 to 16. But the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were incarnate and said to them, Do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So we see Jesus here has just gone on. So after Palm Sunday, he's just cleaned the temple. He's been healing people and serving people. And we see the children crying out and worshipping him, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus was humble through what he was doing. He was showing the kingdom of God through that humility. And through the pe- and the people were glorifying him. And the scribes and the chief and the chief people that, if you read the gospel, caused Jesus a lot of headaches over the pathway, um, come to him and say, do you hear what they're saying? Jesus' response is yes. Um, and then straight away we see the phrase of what we just covered in Psalm 8. Out of babies direct, directly relates to the majesty of God and the lowly and the weak, God will be glorified. Jesus questions them on, have you never read this? What means, well, basically what he's saying, have you never read this and understood this? Don't you know how my majesty works? Don't you know that the weak and the lowly will praise and how God uses the weak and the lowly, and how the Messiah was going to come for the lowly and the humble. Jesus is trying to point out to the scribes and the chiefs that if you understand this phrase and where it comes from, you would understand and see me as the Messiah. Why children cry out in praise. Um, yeah, living out. He was living out the true kingdom of God, what we were called to live out as well. And we see the outcome of Psalm 8 in this verse played out in this situation as well. Out of the mouth and babies comes praise for the fortress of strength that steals the enemies. This was the last that you hear from the scribes and the chief on that day. The praises from the kids silenced Jesus' enemies. So I might start to wrap this up. So in closing, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 30 says, For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and and despised in the world. Even the things that are are not to bring to nothing things that are. So the human beings might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We see that through all God's majesty and how he uses it. The weak, he uses the weak to shame the strong. He uses the foolish to shame the wise. He uses the down and outs and the humble in the world. Not that we'll boast of ourselves when things come off, but that we'll boast in the Lord. Back in Psalm, David and the afflicted ones turned to God and cried out to him. Out of their weakness, they were humble and allowed God to shine through them. Um, That we would boast in him and him alone, not because God crushes his enemies by raw strength and power, what sort of the earthly way of doing things, but by the way of defeating his enemies with meekness and humility and the weakness of babes. 
and by the foolish and by the foolish and the weak, the worldly standards that God uses for victory. So Matthew 18, 3, and I said to you, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and come like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. All these scriptures bring attention to the majesty of God as seen in Psalm 8, and that is that God chooses to use the weak, and through our weakness, he makes us strong. Through that, um, he reveals his glory and his kingdom. Not, not by our names, not because we have things to offer, but only because of what God has done through us. He turns our weakness to strength and through God and God alone, he rules the world with his majesty. God chose to use us. He doesn't need us. There's nothing we can bring, but he chooses to use us. For his glory, he makes us strong. What an honour it is to serve the king, that although we are weak, he uses that for victory. And to him belongs all the glory. We are called to live humble lives and humble ourselves like kids. As Christ has set the example, we are called to serve through following Christ that we might look foolish to the world, but through him, he uses us. Um, we might seem weak to the world, we might, but if we lay our lives down and humble and serve, um, that's when the true kingdom of God is most revealed in a world that needs it. His power is most on display when we are humble. And, we, and through him, we are strengthened. So that's that's Psalm 8. So I might leave that one there. We'll dive into another Psalm uh, next time. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.